MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Today, hospitals start weighing who lives and who dies. Job losses could exceed 45 million. Gates' sentencing has been postponed. The Department of Justice hands over the full unredacted Mueller report. Some recovered patients are testing positive again in Wuhan. The Amazon strike is in full swing. New Republican excuses for the administration's inadequate response to the pandemic. And testing is still a problem. I'm your host, A.G., and I'm flying solo today. Hey, everybody. So first, a correction. Uh, I said yesterday it was April 1st. It's actually today. Uh, isolation is taking its toll on me knowing what the hell day it is. It's getting to be like what the hell time it is now. But uh, anyway, I apologize for that. It wasn't an April Fool's joke. It, today is April 1st. Unless you're a patron, it's still March 31st because you get these episodes early. Uh, but Wednesday is indeed April 1st. Sorry about that. Uh, I will be joined today by Amanda Reeder later in the show. You get to hear her happy voice. She's going to bring some good news. And I'll be chatting with the national security correspondent for Politico and MSNBC contributor Natasha Bertrand about Congress's slow response to put measures in place to mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. We have a lot of show today. So uh, let's just jump in. Why not? Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, so we had a a White House briefing today. I'm not going to play you any clips from it. It was pretty stark. Um, We urge networks not to run these, but I'll I'll tell you what Dr. Fauci said. Though though Dr. Fauci is saying we need to anticipate uh, 100,000 to 200,000 deaths, American deaths, uh, is is what he's saying. He's been saying that. Uh, for a couple of days now, but now it's part of the official uh, task force briefing. Trump was asked uh, in the Q&A portion of the of the situation that uh, if those were the numbers, if he could say again what he expects the numbers of dead Americans to be, and Trump wouldn't answer. He said, I, uh, I, I'd rather have Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks give you that number. Uh, he was too afraid to say it. I don't think he wants to be connected with, with that number. Uh, it's pretty cowardly. But Fauci got up and said, hey, this is what it is. Deaths will always lag. So you will be seeing death at a time when we're seemingly doing really well. So he wanted everybody to keep that in mind. And Jim Shuto asked Trump if we should, you know, how how should we prepare for 100,000 Americans dying and how can we possibly cope with that? And again, Trump refused to answer the question. He he sent up Dr. Fauci and Dr. Fauci said it'll be very difficult. Uh, Quote, it will be really tough, but that's what it is. And we have to prepare for it. So those numbers are are coming out of the the White House uh, press briefings. Uh, I just wanted to give you that tiny bit of overview. Um, other than that, it was pretty much just the same old, same old. So don't worry about don't worry about that. Worry about worry about the the, the White House actually now recognizing uh, the the death toll is going to be pretty high and it's going to be fast. That we're talking over the next month. Um, We'll see that 100,000 to 200,000 deaths. And that's a big range. Uh, but we should see that by the end of June. Um, and most of it coming in the, in the next three weeks. So uh, without further ado, though, I would like to hand it over to Jordan, who is going to give us a remote report on uh, Governor Cuomo and his um, his briefing today. He has daily briefings, even on the weekends. 
And I think they were much more informative uh, and um, more inspiring, more comforting. I think he just does a much better job. So uh, let's hand it over to Jordan and see what she has. Hello, welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. <laughs> I'm just taking it upon myself to start an entire show within a show. Welcome to this new show. Uh, how's everyone doing? You can't tell me. Here we go. I miss you all, as always. Uh, today I'm going to be covering the same thing I always cover, uh, the coronavirus updates, and we're going to round it out with some good Cuomo stuff at the end. And uh, let's just get right to it. So going to start off with some numbers outside of New York specifically. We got the world count cases coming in right now at 885,007 cases with 42,032 deaths. In the U.S., we have 186,265 cases. Uh, obviously, those numbers we expect to keep going up um, a lot. We're not at the apex yet in New York, which is kind of the epicenter of this right now. And there's still there's still a long way to go. A long, long ways to go, probably, actually. But I promise I will round this all out with some positivity at the end. Uh, so Cuomo, he did his press conference, as always. Again, please check it out. I pretty much usually only cover what's in his section, which is the first half of the press conference. So if you want to hear what he says in response to people's questions, definitely go ahead and check that out. It's like the second half of the video, and they're always great questions. And I am going to cover some of the things that came out of the question session today because they're they're pretty crazy. Uh, but so he started out with his own numbers. Number of people that were tested last night came in at 18,000. He said they're definitely the most successful when it comes to testing, and uh, they are. Nice to hear someone say a fact and have it actually be true. <sighs> Seven, uh, the total number of cases right now for them are sitting at 75,795. About 10,000 are hospitalized, about 2,710 are in the ICU, and about 5,000 have recovered. Number of deaths in New York is at 1,550, up from 1,218. Uh, the number of intubations went down a bit, um, so that's that's good news. The rate, I, I should say, that happened from day to day. Uh, so then he starts going in to he, talking about how he doesn't have opinions on what's happening right now. And his point is, I'm listening to scientists and I'm listening to facts. I don't have opinions about this, right? I'm evaluating the information as it comes in all the while uh they're planning very much because even though things are bad right now he really didn't shy away today in the press conference from being super blunt about the fact that they have not hit the apex yet and things are going to get a lot worse and it's taking a toll on everybody already he says obviously um you know if you're in new york you know that and if you're paying attention to the news anywhere else you know that it is taking a huge toll on everybody there, especially healthcare workers and the ill. So he's just saying, essentially, we got to do everything that we can right now to prepare because we're already overwhelmed, and the apex—the apex hasn't even hit yet. Some he even said that they're they're stocking up on extra PPE right now, and the reason they're stocking up on extra is because again they know the apex is coming. And he talks about being sick of being behind the virus, which is essentially the stance that everyone in the U.S. has had to take because it wasn't taken seriously from the beginning. We had all this time to prepare when it was going on in China and still is, obviously, but when it was really ramping up there, that was the time for us to be going into super, 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 you know, prepare mode. But we had such horrible leadership. I 
can't stress that enough. If we had good leadership on this, we would have been in such a better place to have tackled this head on when it got here at the magnitude that it did. Uh, But I'm going to roll this clip of Cuomo talking about all these things because I think these words are really important to hear from a leader right now. People ask me, what do you think? What do you think? I don't think about this. What do I know? I'm not an expert. I'm not opining. I talk to experts and I follow people who know. But for the hospitals, procure equipment, identify the beds, support the staff. Uh, That's what it's been all about. Of those priorities, number one is support the staff. They are the front line and they need relief. Uh, They are physically exhausted. Even more, they are emotionally exhausted. This is, unlike other disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, they happen, they're fast, they're over, you start rebuilding. This is different. This is uh, ongoing, and the duration itself is debilitating and exhausting and depressing. Uh, I'm speaking to healthcare professionals who say, look, more than physically tired, I'm just emotionally tired. Uh, seeing the pain, seeing the death that they're dealing with every day. Uh, in general, I am tired of being behind this virus. We've been behind this virus from day one. The virus was in China. We knew it was in China. Unless we assume there's some uh, immune system variation with Asian people, it was coming here. And we have been behind it from day one since it got here. And we've been playing catch up. You don't win playing catch up. We have to get ahead of it. Uh, The second rule is never underestimate your opponent. And we underestimated this virus. It's more powerful, it's more dangerous than we expected. And the third point is plan forward. Get ahead of it, get ahead of it. Fight the fight today, yes, but anticipate the next battle and plan for the next battle. And the main battle is at the apex. We're still going up the mountain. The main battle is on the top of the mountain. That's where the main battle is going to be, the apex of the curve. And then we come down the other side of the mountain. We are planning now for the battle at the top of the mountain. That's what we are doing. Get a staffing plan ready now for the battle at the top of the mountain. Equipment stockpile now. We're gathering equipment that we don't need today because today is not the day of the battle. The battle is when we hit the apex, depending on who you believe, 14 days to 30 days from today. Uh, And also we need a social acceptance of the time expectation. We're all anxious, we're all tired, we're all fatigued. It's been all bad news for a long time. Our whole lifestyle has been disrupted. Everybody wants to know one thing, when is it over? Nobody knows. Well, president said by Easter, this one said by this, nobody knows. You can have a hypothesis, you can have a projection, you can have an opinion, but nobody knows. But uh, I can say this, it is not gonna be soon. If our apex is 14 to 21 days, that's our apex. You then have to come down the other side of the mountain once you hit the apex. 
So calibrate yourself and your expectations uh, so you're not disappointed every morning you get up. Cuomo then goes on to say that they met with the entire hospital system, the whole hospital, uh, state hospital system yesterday. This is one of the first steps in following through with getting all of those systems on the same page. I talked about that covering one of his pressers a couple days ago, just again, reiterating how important it is that the concept of public and private hospitals goes away entirely at this point. He's like, I don't want to hear that. He said during their talk yesterday, uh, there were there was talks of, you know, well, that's a public hospital, and I just look over, you know, private stuff, and, and he was just stopping people like, no, that is not what this is about anymore. Everybody is in the same team, and everyone's got to share resources. We need hospitals that have resources, whether it be space, beds, whatever. We need to be able to have a system where we can send people that are in these overwhelmed hospitals into those hospitals as much as it's possible. The sharing of equipment, the sharing of information, just being coordinated as a whole is so incredibly essential. So the fact that they actually met only a couple days after he actually said he was going to do something, again, is a perfect example of how you're actually supposed to lead in a crisis. So that's good news. Uh, he said that he talked to Trump, Pence, and Kushner, and he said that they've all been very helpful. And you know what? I'll take it. I will take that. I'm not trying to sit here and death-grippingly hang on to how much I hate this president if... Cuomo, who I think has proven himself to be a solid leader during this time, if he thought it was warranted to say that he's receiving support from them, I'm going to take it and just try to extract some amount of positivity out of that. Granted, they're still sucking the federal government in many ways, which Cuomo uh, will inevitably go on to illustrate, but at least... In this moment, him saying that they're being helpful, I'll take it. Uh, he then talks about how New York, they've established a central coordinating team that's led by their Department of Health. And he also expressed that if the federal government wants to participate in the efforts of that group, then they need to be present on the team. He's like, we need federal folks to be on the ground here, knowing what is happening. I'm not going to deal with, you know, this kind of like detached bullshit that's not effective and we don't need it essentially those are my words not his um he also goes on to say how new york's leading the country on multiple kinds of testing and innovation says they've got uh, a lot of innovations happening with saliva testing antibody testing and plasma testing so that's exciting um i think you know this is i think this is something that helps me when i'm you know, freaking out sort of day by day, because sometimes it feels like I'm waking up into a nightmare. Quite literally, last night I woke up at 4.40 in the morning just with chest pain and nausea and anxiety, and it was like, yeah, it was, it sucks, right? It really, really sucks, especially for people with anxiety disorders or, or whatever. It just sucks for everybody. And so it's the little stuff that kind of helps me, I think, get through those moments and the positivity I found is in that information about testing and the different innovations that are happening when it comes to this crisis every single day it is you know ineffable that we're moving towards more discoveries on new medications new treatments new vaccines new testing new understanding of how the virus works and how it spreads and even though you know the death count and 
how it affects communities is going to continue to go up because no one's hit that apex yet. And, and we know that and can expect that, even though that that's the case. The other thing that I think is super important to remember is that these discoveries and this progress is also happening every single day. There are people in labs every day, very, very smart people, truly brilliant minds, working their ass off all around the globe trying to fix this. And every day we get closer to that. And I think that that's important to understand. Also important to understand, there's only so much those measures can do. And there is just the really blunt, hard, sad, cold, awful truth that people are dying and they're going to continue to die. And this isn't a virus we can just cure and it will go away. It's going to suck and it's going to continue to suck. But eventually it will not suck as bad. I want to finish uh, with Cuomo's coverage about uh, his brother. I don't know if you've heard this probably, but Chris Cuomo, CNN frontman essentially during these times, um, he he contracted COVID-19. He's now quarantining in his basement and Andrew Cuomo, the governor, talks talks about it in a way that I think is full of fondness for his family, and he also is using this as an opportunity to drive the point home of how important it is to stay inside. And when you're staying inside, it's not just about you; it's about the other people. He talks about. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna let you hear it. It's a bit of a long clip, but Chris Cuomo is very important to a lot of us libs. You know, uh, CNN essential in this landscape politically in so many ways and Cuomo is included in that so I think it's a great idea for us to just hear this whole clip so let's let's listen to that the basic point is stay at home the point is stay at home I know it's hard to stay at home and uh I know everyone thinks uh you know I can go out and I can be smart and uh, I won't get infected because it's me. I'm a superhero. It's not going to be me. That is not true. Uh, and it's not just about you. It's not just about your health and your life that you're playing with here, my friend. You can infect other people. So uh, I've been trying to communicate this many different ways for many days. Uh, we still see people coming out who don't need to be out. Even for essential workers, uh, people have to be careful. Uh, and again, I've been trying to communicate that everyone, everyone is subject to this virus. It is the great equalizer. I don't care how smart, how rich, how powerful you think you are. Uh, I don't care how young, how old. This virus is the great equalizer. My brother Chris uh, is positive for coronavirus, found out this morning. The, uh, now, uh, he is going to be fine. He's uh, young, in good shape, uh, strong, not as strong as he thinks, but uh, he will be fine. But there's a lesson in this. He's an essential worker, member of the press, so uh, he's been out there. If you go out there, the chance that you get infected is very high. Uh, I spoke to him this morning. 
and uh, he's going to be quarantined uh, in his basement at home. He's just worried about his daughter and his kids, that he hopes he didn't get them infected. Uh, you don't really know Chris. You know, you see Chris, uh, he has a show on night, uh, 9 o'clock on CNN. But you just see one dimension, right? You see a person in his job. And in his job, he's combative and he's argumentative and he's pushing people. But that's his job. That's really not who he is. He's a really sweet, beautiful guy. Uh, and uh, he's my best friend. My father was always working, so it was always just me and Chris. And uh, he's a lawyer also, Chris. He's a lawyer because growing up, uh, the decision point came to what do you want to do after college? And my father was a very strong personality. And uh, my father basically suggested forcefully to Chris that he should be a lawyer. Uh, it was a different time and a different place, you know. Uh, now, my daughters, Kara, who's here, you know, they all follow their individual stars. This is their destiny, which is right. If you had said to my father, I want to follow my individual star. He would say, yeah, you, you can follow your individual star right out that door. You know, that's what he would have said. So Chris went to law school. Uh, but he never really had a desire to practice law. He calls me when he's about 26. He's at a law firm. And he said, you know, I don't want to be a lawyer. I said, yeah, I know, but you are now a lawyer. You are. He said, yeah, but I don't want to be a lawyer. I said, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be a journalist. I said, you want to be a journalist? I said, it's too late. You're a lawyer. You have to pay law school bills. You didn't go to journalism school. It's too late. No, no, I think I can do it. And God bless him. He quit the law firm, uh, went to work for Fox TV, which is a whole separate conversation in the house, uh, and then worked his way up. He's at CNN. He does a beautiful job. But a sweet guy, and now he's quarantined in the basement, but he's funny as hell. He says to me, uh, even the dogs won't come downstairs, he says. <laughs> so, uh, but he is concerned about his wife and his kids. But the reason I raise it is he's smart, he's social distancing, yes, but you wind up exposing yourself. People wind up exposing you, and then they find out they're positive a couple of days later. And I had a situation with Christopher two weeks ago that I even mentioned my mother was at his house. And I said, that is a mistake. Now, my mother is in a different situation. She's, uh, she's older uh, and she's healthy, but I said, you can't have mom at the house. And he said, no, 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 mom is lonely. She wants to be at the house. I feel bad. She's cooped up in the apartment. I said, yeah, I feel bad. She's cooped up in the apartment, too. But you bring her to your house, you expose her to a lot of things. You have the kids there. You have your wife there. You're coming and going. Your wife is coming and going. And uh, you could expose mom to the virus. And love is uh, sometimes uh, a little, uh, needs to be a little smarter than uh, just reactive. And we had a whole discussion. And truth, now he's informed, I'm informed, uh, 
was that dangerous? Was that not dangerous? So I went back to Dr. Zirkin. I said, look, we have to tell people what are the rules? How does this work? That's when I came up with Matilda's Law. And I said I named it for my mother. And it was very clear about uh, people who are older and what they should be exposed to. My brother, that was two weeks ago, if my brother still had my mother at his house, again, out of love and comfort, and my mother wanted to be at the house anyway, by the way. She didn't want to be sitting at home in an apartment. Uh, so she would have been doing what she wanted to do. He would have been doing what he wanted to do. It would have seemed great and harmless, but now we'd have a much different situation. Because if he was exposed, chances are she may very well have been exposed. And then we would be looking at a different situation than just my brother sitting in his basement for two months, two weeks. Uh, so think about that, right? My brother's smart. He was acting out of love. Uh, luckily, we caught it early enough. But it's my family. It's your family. It's all of our families. And this virus is that insidious. And we have to keep that in mind. So then he wraps up that section that was pre-questions. And then he takes some questions. And then some, some, something really crazy was illustrated in one of his answers that I, that I really want to cover. You've probably seen it going around on Twitter. But Cuomo said that what's happening right now with the process of trying to acquire ventilators is that he said it's essentially like being on eBay with 50 other states bidding on a ventilator. And he said you see the bid go up because California bid and then Illinois bid, Florida bid, New York bids, California rebids. He goes on to say how inefficient. And then FEMA gets involved and FEMA's bidding. So there's a bidding war that's driving up the cost of this essential equipment, thus making it less accessible. It's taking longer. You're going to get you know, you're, you're going to get dinged financially a lot more as this process goes on. He's saying, why is this happening? This is complete bullshit. FEMA should be the single buyer, right? If they're going to do it, buy everything. And then they should be the ones distributing it to all these states that are instead now individually bidding on it. It just, not only does it not make sense, it is catastrophic, potentially, how that's being handled. So, you know, when he throws... Kushner and Pence and Trump with tiny bones saying they're being cooperative. It's not like he's going quietly into the night. He's calling them out for what they deserve to be called out on. Trump's the one that brought in FEMA. He should be the one that's helping them and making them coordinate the purchase of these things and in a way that makes sense. Um, and then closing out the press conference, what's super consequential about that point that I was just talking about, this sort of bidding war, is that's playing out right now in Massachusetts. Warren had a tweet that she sent out that said, uh, Trump told states they were on their own to purchase medical equipment. So that's what Massachusetts tried to do. But then the federal government outbid Massachusetts at least three times. And reports show two of our orders were seized by federal authorities. This is unacceptable. It is absolutely unacceptable, and like Cuomo said, and like you're probably thinking, it also just makes no sense. I'm having a hard time thinking, you know, 
like it's hard to not take that personally especially when you think of a blue state being the one that's being outbid like that multiple times by their own federal government it's just so twisted and fucked up and it's like procurement like if you're in the federal government at that point you know how to effectively procure something so it's just like banging your head against the wall thinking why why like why is this happening i'm sure that there's some shitty reason behind it unfortunately but hopefully if there is a shitty reason someone discovers it reports on it and it gets called out and it changes or i guess the smart people that remain on that task force hopefully can convince them to change how they're doing things but that's where that stands. Uh, Cuomo, you know, talked about things like splitting ventilators, other options other than just straight up procuring them. Like one of our patrons or listeners had told us, splitting ventilators is not ideal. You don't have as much control over it. Cuomo said that today in the press conference too. He was like, splitting them is not ideal. He confirmed that. So the option is to get FEMA or whatever entity is going to do all the buying on board, buy them all up front and then distribute them. Hopefully, that's something that they can get their shit together and start doing. But that's all I got for you for that today. Uh, I hope that you were able to find some positivity and good vibes in hearing, you know, the gentle ribbing between Cuomo and his and his brother. And um, I, I never, I never walk away from those press conferences that he does feeling worse outside of you know, the existential element, like I said, of the fact that the cases are going to continue to go up. But if you can um, really take that, you know, staying home thing to heart. I had a really tough thing. Just my dad and my sister, they're like a few miles away from me right now in San Diego. And I was going over there just for dinner, you know, like a little, not, not that long ago. And I'm making the call, we're making the call to to stay separated, and it sucks. It sucks really bad, because it's like, technically, you know, none of the people that would interact with each other in our family, or, or, or you know, Ryan are like high risk, but it's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, because regardless of if any of us get sick, what if I get something, and then I bring it to their house, and then when they go out to the store, they pass it on to someone who is high risk, right? And these things, these chains of spread happen so quickly and just one thing like going over for that dinner could just be so catastrophic and have a domino effect it it inevitably like most likely we're at the point where it will like that is that is a likely outcome at this point and i think that that's what people need to really understand and it sucks and it's really hard it's it fucking really sucks um and it's it's the worst to think about, you know, the fact that it's likely not going to take anyone in my family, knock on wood. But if someone spreads it to someone and that person gets it, there are people that are literally dying right now without getting to see their family in person when they're dying, you know? It's like, really fucked up so if you're still kind of going out thinking like oh it's okay it's just a small thing for us to go and hang out together it's not it's not a small thing and it's like all we can do right now so please stay home stay positive um keep informed as much as you can i've been having um a lot of people reach out and i appreciate that so much um 
you know, you would think with all this time I'd be able to respond to everybody quickly, but I can't, uh, but I'm trying. I promise if you message me, I will do my best to go through everything and, and respond and stuff. Uh, but take care and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thanks, Jordan. We'll be right back with more news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. There are a lot of reasons why we might have trouble sleeping right now, um, from everyday worries to global pandemics to orange dictators haunting our nightmares. But uh, one of the biggest reasons is we often have the wrong mattress uh, for the way that we sleep. And Helix Sleep has a quick quiz. It just takes a couple minutes online to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. It's customized. It's awesome. And there's nobody on the planet just like you, so why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep customizes their mattress to fit you and the way you sleep the best. Uh, Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, if you like a firm bed or if you like a super soft bed, I like soft beds, and I sleep hot. Uh, with, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. They can put it all together for you. And Helix Sleep was even awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. We all have one. Manda has one. Jordan has one. I have one. And it is, seriously, the most comfortable mattress I've ever had. And I've had a lot. I'm kind of old. So... They also have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't like it, they'll pick it up for you, but you will love it, I promise. And Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $125 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, All right. Let's dig into it here. On a conference call Monday between the White House and the governors, Governor Steve Bullock, a Democratic governor from Montana, told Trump uh, they were one day away from not being able to continue testing because they don't have full test kits or the PPE necessary to administer those tests. And without the ability to test, they said we won't be able to do the contact tracing, which is a vital part of flattening the curve and preventing hospitals from being overrun. Uh, Trump responded by arguing uh, with with the governor, saying he hasn't heard that there's any problem with testing. He hasn't heard about testing in weeks. And then he went over his talking points about how we test far more than any other country. Uh, and that's not true. Uh, not per capita, at least. Uh, our nation is the best at testing. Our testing is beautiful. It's tremendous. They're the most beautiful tests. I uh, just went over that over and over again, named the corporations making the tests um, and just continued to say he just hasn't heard there's a problem with testing. Well, where would you hear about it? If it's if it's not from governors on conference calls, where would you hear that testing is a problem? This is where you hear that. This is them telling you they're out of tests. So you have heard about testing being a problem. You're hearing about it right now from the governors. I don't understand. It, where else would he get? It's it's absolutely what an absolute mess of an answer. And, and I, I seriously hope that there's somebody else on those conference calls fielding that information, tracking those data, and and keeping that in mind when FEMA starts distributing masks um, and, and PPE and testing uh, supplies. I, I really hope that, I really hope they don't just go, oh, well, Trump says it's not a problem, so it's not a problem, because that's very dangerous. Uh, also today on CNN, my new hero, um, uh, Lieutenant General Semonite. Uh, he is the head of Chief of Army Corps of Engineers. Absolutely fantastic guy. He's a get shit done kind of guy. He's straightforward. We saw him on Matto the other night. 
Uh, so about a year ago on the news as well. And I've just I've been following this guy. He's just tremendous. He's tremendous. So he gets on. He says, look, we got three problems. He's talking to Jake Tapper. We got three problems. There's a potential shortage of sites. There's a potential shortage of supplies. And there's a potential shortage of staff. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, me, we're focused on the potential shortage of sites uh, and how we can mitigate the shortage. So he said he met with Cuomo, who asked, how can we get these sites up and running in a couple of weeks? And he's like, well, you can't from the ground up. You can't build a hospital from the ground up in a couple of weeks. So he came up with a simple concept to be able to go into existing facilities. A um, couple different kinds of facilities. One is hotels and dorm rooms with individual rooms. And the second is large open spaces like uh, field houses and sports arenas and convention centers. And he said we would be able to build hospitals inside these existing facilities because you already have electricity, you have water, you have fire, you have HVAC, you have everything that you need. So you don't have to construct that yourself. So that's what allows them to get these up and running uh, as soon as possible. He said, we've been asked this morning to do over 500 assessments throughout different cities and states across the country. And today we're building nine of these facilities out with a total of about 9,800 beds in one day. The Army Corps of Engineers and this fucking guy is getting it done. Uh, Army Corps has set up the Javits Center in New York for non-COVID patients. Uh, but Jake Tapper asks, the facility that you're setting up in Chicago at the Chicago Convention Center will treat COVID-19 patients. But a building that big might not meet the COVID standards. What What is the COVID standard and how are you ensuring it will be safe to house that many COVID patients? And he said, well, first, the decision on how to array the facility is the governor's decision and the mayor's decision. Um, so I come in, he says, I come in with my different designs. We got four. We got COVID, non-COVID, small and large room arrangement. Uh, we provide the designs and they determine how they're going to use them. Our job is to help them understand what's in the realm of possibility. So, for example, with the Javits Center, uh, they were worried that in such a big space, they wouldn't be able to seal off the doors and bring the pressure down enough so that you could have the workers, you know, walk around and uh, and do their thing without, you know, being contaminated inside. But in Chicago and Detroit, which are large buildings for COVID patients, the people working there, because of that, because they can't do a negative pressure, have to make sure they have the proper PPE. So they're, at, you know, as they're walking among the patients there, they're protected. So it sounds like Semonites going in and saying, all right, Governor, Mayor, uh, I can do hotels for COVID patients. I can do or big wide open spaces. And you pick if you want COVID patients or not. If you want COVID patients in, in areas where we can't, you know, take the pressure out of the room as easily as we can in like a dorm uh, dormitory, for example, because it's a much smaller room then you got to be you have to make sure that you have the PPE to to cover it. So they go in, offer the solutions and then they they put these facilities together. Um Tapper asked him if they're going to if the if if Seminite's getting more requests than they can handle and he says, "Nope, uh nope, right now I don't. I have the authority by FEMA to hire up to as many people as I need. All of our teams are out working, but the the teamwork he says between the governors, the mayors and the army corps, uh everyone's working toward the same common goal and it's working out." So he, I'm, I'm very happy that he has the authority to, to handle this shit and he doesn't have to go through some sort of chain of command or get some sort of, you know, approval from the White House to hire uh, however many he, uh, folks he needs to, to get the job done. So I'm, he, he brings me comfort whenever he's on. Uh, I really appreciate um, General Seminite for that. Uh, speaking of uh, the Department of Defense, the, the first U.S. service member has died uh, of coronavirus. Army Captain Douglas Hickok passed away Saturday, according to the Department of Defense. Uh, at least uh, 716 service members have tested positive, including an outbreak on a Navy carrier, the Roosevelt. Uh, overnight, the commanding officer left a pretty stark message 
uh, from where they're at, which is near Guam. They have 70 crew members who are sick, showing symptoms. The commander wants to get everybody off the ship, get everybody tested, isolate everybody on Guam. And he's deeply concerned that he can't contain it. He says, we're not at war right now. And, uh, you know, with, you know, not virus withstanding or, you know, they were currently not at war and the sailors need to be protected. And so he's asking for every sailor to be removed from the ship. And we haven't heard anything uh, subsequent uh, since that reporting came out, but we'll keep you posted. And you remember when the Fed projected a 30 percent unemployment rate? Um, Well, they've modified their prediction. Economists at the Fed St. Louis District uh, project total employment reductions of 47 million workers, which would translate to 32.1% unemployment. Uh, And that's according to a more recent analysis. There are a couple of important caveats, though. These numbers do not account for workers who may drop out of the workforce, thus bringing down the headline unemployment rate. And they do not estimate the impact of recently passed government stimulus, which extends unemployment benefits uh, and subsidized companies for not cutting staff. Um, these compilations come from a previous Fed research uh, project showing 66.8 million workers are in occupations with high risk of layoff. Um, those are sales, production, food preparation, and services. Uh, other research has identified an additional 27.3 million people working in high contact intensive jobs, such as barber, stylists, airline attendants, food and beverage service. Uh, nail salons, et cetera. And they took the average of those two numbers and came up with 47 million people could be out of work. Um, These are back-of-the-envelope calculations, the Fed says, so the reality could be better, but it also could be worse. So uh, obviously we'll wait and see how it shakes out, but that prediction came out today. And and we've seen 500,000 workers in retail uh, announced over the last couple of days that 500,000 workers in retail are being furloughed. Uh, they're not being fired, so those with benefits can retain benefits. And if these companies get enough in loans, they can continue paying their employees. Uh, There's like Ann Taylor and Macy's, you know, big retailers. Another indication, this is, this is a, another indication that the recent rescue package might not be enough, by the way. Um, because they want to see if they can get enough in loans to continue paying their employees. And uh, other big companies um, have going through some issues right now. Amazon strikes are in full swing right now. From the Washington Post, as millions of consumers are, are turning to Instacart, Amazon, and Whole Foods as essential resources during the novel coronavirus pandemic, the workers at those companies now have unprecedented leverage to demand hazard pay and safety protections that match what they say is the high risk that they take just by showing up to work. Uh, On Monday, some workers for a grocery delivery app called Instacart began a nationwide strike to demand hazard pay of $5 per order and better health protections. Meanwhile, um, some warehouse employees at an Amazon facility in Staten Island, New York, walked out because they said the e-commercial giant isn't doing enough to protect them. They want to close that facility down. They want that facility to be shut, closed down and cleaned because a lot of people have come in contact and some folks have tested positive who work there. And on Tuesday, some staff at Amazon-owned Whole Foods uh, all over the country plan to call in sick to demand the grocer offer hazard pay of double their current hourly wages, along with other health protections. Um... Now, both Democratic presidential candidates have shown support for these workers. On Saturday, Bernie Sanders encouraged Instacart to meet workers' demands. Uh, quote, Instacart was last valued at nearly $8 billion. A company of this size should, not be, size should not be forcing its workers to put themselves and us all at risk. Uh, and then Joe Biden also posted uh, on Sunday, Instacart needs to step up and give their workers protections in the pay they need and deserve now. 
And employees in 21 facilities now across uh, Amazon facilities and warehouses have tested positive. It was six the last time we reported. Now it's 21 facilities have tested positive. And that's according to Amazon and some and some local reporting. And uh, all this, with all this news, the markets are down 2% today with the Dow shedding almost 500 points. But we still have a long way to go uh, when more economic indicators start taking hits, including the housing market uh, and the mortgage insurance market when people can't make their mortgages. Uh, and consumer confidence fell this week to a three-year low. So that also compounded the problem. Goldman Sachs is predicting now that the economy could shrink by a third or 34% which is why I have been saying the $2.2 trillion rescue package is not nearly enough, and it needed to be closer to $4 trillion, which is our GDP. And Kai Rizdahl, woo, woo, who we spoke to on Monday's Daily Beans, agreed with that assessment. I might have gotten, I might have gotten that from him, though, just to be fair. Uh, so I was listening to Marketplace. I heard him say it should be closer to GDP. I get on my show and say, it should be closer to GDP. And then I get Kai Rizdahl on my show and say, hey, don't you think it should be closer to GDP? That seems like cheating, but it might have happened that way. Um Anyway, this is an inadequate rescue package, uh, and it may do more harm than good um, because uh, because it's just not enough, and that can cause inflation problems. We talked to Kai about it. Listen to Monday's Daily Beans. You'll love it. Kai, like he's my buddy. And a terrifying but predicted story, predictable story in the Wall Street Journal today. Emergency room doctors at NYU Langone have been told They have, these are doctors, they have sole discretion over which patients are placed on ventilators and to withhold what they're referring to as feudal intubations. Uh, We know this has been happening in Spain uh, last week when doctors were forced to take those over 60 years old off ventilators so the younger patients could have them. And I can't imagine having to triage which lives are more valuable than others. This is just going to be horrendous when, when these hospitals reach capacity and the ventilators are coming out 100 at a time, 40 at a time. The last time California got a shipment, uh, 170 of them didn't even work. So FEMA is not even inspecting these machines. Uh, hopefully, uh, I know Dyson, the guy who makes vacuums and fans and hand dryers, has developed um, a ventilator and he's going to be sending out 15,000, I think. Uh, and I know Jordan went over um, Governor Cuomo's um, press briefing, and he's been saying in his last several press briefings that we need to, everybody, we need to have a national inventory. And, and David McNeil, who, who's the expert on this for 20 years, reporter at the New York Times, uh, who's, who's we've seen on, we've seen him on Matto a, a few times. He, he said, we have to take a national inventory of our ventilators and where they're not needed right now. We need to ship all those ventilators to where they're needed and keep moving them across the country as, as the waves hit different localities and cities at different times. Uh, and I don't know, he said the Pentagon's the only one who has the resources to, to, to do this, to take this project on. Uh, they have logistics, they have the planes, they can fly these ventilators around, they can get them to where they need to go. And so I really, I would like to see uh, General Semonite take control of this this one. Um, I don't think Esper's got it in him. But go out, ask every hospital in the country, send an inventory of your ventilators, and then we're going to tell you where you need to send your ventilators today. Um, and everyone, as Cuomo said, everyone's egos need to be put aside. Everyone, you know, because, you know, a lot of these hospital administrators are like, these are mine. I, I got these fair and square. I'm going to keep them here in case I need them. But that's, I don't think that's how it's going to work. Um, and I think we all have to work together uh, to get that done. And we can do it nationally. We can do it by state. We can do it by city. Uh, it just, it needs to be done. And 
this could be a problem. And this comes from NPR. But a spate of mysterious second-time infections, second-time infections in Wuhan is calling into question the accuracy of COVID diagnostic tools, the tests, and raising concerns of a possible second wave of cases, or, you know, questioning it does, does having it make you immune. Uh, some Wuhan residents who had tested positive and then had, you know, recovered uh, are now testing positive for a second time. In fact, 5 to 10% of recovered patients have tested positive again, and that's according to data from several quarantine facilities in the city of Wuhan. And some of those that uh, retested positive are asymptomatic carriers, so they can still spread the virus. NPR spoke to a group of individuals um, this has happened to, two frontline doctors and two residents of Wuhan, all of whom requested anonymity because those who have challenged the government's handling of the outbreak have been detained. And under new guidelines in China, the country does not include it in its overall daily count for total and new cases. They don't include people who retest positive after having recovered. China also doesn't count asymptomatic carriers in their case counts. So we need to keep, we need to keep this possibility in mind. Uh, if you've had the virus and you've recovered, uh, you could still be a carrier and a danger to those around you, even if you're asymptomatic. And we need to err on the side of caution until we have a more, you know, a more definitive analysis on, on this phenomenon, because we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Um, all right, coming up next, uh, Turtle Dick Mitch McConnell and Tom Cotton are now trying to blame the impeachment of Trump on his woefully inadequate response to coronavirus. And I'll be talking to Natasha Bertrand about her new piece in Politico about that on the other side of this break. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Upstart. Many of us know we've we've lived through this. It's really easy to get into debt, but it's very hard to get out, especially if your credit score isn't great. They get those stuck with those high interest rates. You're paying pretty much no principal on all interest, and it can take years to pay off your debt that way. But thankfully, there is Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you are more than just your credit score, and they offer a smarter interest rate to help you pay off your high interest credit card debt. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and your job experience and your job history. And they do that in the form of a smarter interest rate. Uh, I could have used Upstart when I was in debt. Uh, I just had to deal with those really high interest rates and make extra high payments as you know, once I was able. And it just took me so long to get out of debt. So I wish we had Upstart back then. Uh, and they make it super easy to check your rate. Because it's a soft pull on your credit. It doesn't affect your credit score when you when you check your rate. The hard pull doesn't happen until you accept your rate. And the best part is once the loan is approved, you get your funds usually the very next business day. And over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit card debts to meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. And see why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. So hurry to upstart.com slash dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Joining us today is national security correspondent for Politico and an MSNBC contributor, Natasha Bertrand. Natasha, thanks for agreeing to speak with me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you holding up? Are you, I assume you're all working from home doing all the remotely stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're home and my dog is pretty happy about it. Um, but so far, so good. Everyone's healthy. So that's all we can ask for. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. So the reason I wanted you on today, I read a, I, you put a piece out Monday with, I think it was Maggie Severns. Is that right? Yep, um, Maggie. And this is for Politico. Uh, it came out Monday. And it's pretty much about Congress and, and their response to, you know, because a lot of people are wondering, like, well, they were briefed on January 24th. Why wasn't everybody screaming from the hilltops, right? And, and recently, 
there's a, a Republican talking point has emerged, um, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, that it was the impeachment that distracted the president from this, you know, pandemic response. But the timeline doesn't really support that theory. And and I'll be honest, Trump didn't seem swamped with all of his golf trips and rallies that he held. So. Mm-hmm. So there has to be something else going on. First, can you tell us uh, about the early alarm bells raised by some of the Republican lawmakers on the Hill, like Tom Cotton and Lamar Alexander? Yeah. So, you know, reading this piece, I think we have to remember that Tom Cotton has long been a China hawk, a China skeptic. He's just naturally kind of he doesn't like the Chinese government. Um, So when he started reading about these reports that were coming out of Wuhan about this mysterious virus, he immediately went to the worst possible scenario, which is there's a big cover-up. This is possibly created in a lab somewhere in China. It's going to be weaponized against the U.S. Because, again, he is just naturally very suspicious of the Chinese Communist Party. So when he read all of that over Martin Luther King Day weekend, roughly January 16th of this year, he began to panic and he started calling the White House and he started raising alarms among his colleagues saying, look, we really need to implement travel restrictions. We need to do something that can protect Americans in case this spirals out of control. He saw that the government in China was, you know, downplaying the spread of the virus while setting up um, measures to, you know, um, deal with the bodies that were piling up and, and you know, scrambling to um, deal with medical shortages and things like that. And he didn't think that added up. So he kind of foresaw um, that something really bad could happen. Again, this was informed by his natural kind of, um, uh, you know, antagonism towards China. So Lamar Alexander kind of picked up on that from Tom Cotton, and he began pushing for a briefing from administration officials around January 21st, which was the second day of Trump's impeachment trial. Um, So against the backdrop of all of this, senators had already been sworn in. The trial was, you know, pretty much in full swing. And Lamar Alexander was was calling for this briefing. Three days later, they got it. And only about 14 senators actually showed up. Um, And, you know, that that irked you know, people on both sides of the aisle, there weren't that many Democrats there, obviously, because, you know, there was a big impeachment trial going on. Democrats also thought um, that Republicans were just trying to distract um, from impeachment by kind of overblowing um, this, this virus. And there really wasn't any indication from the administration at that point that they were really alarmed by this. Um, the administration was still downplaying it, still saying that they could handle it with existing appropriations, that they didn't need any emergency supplementals. And so there there wasn't the kind of urgency in a bipartisan way, you know, on, on this issue. A few Republican senators were raising the alarm, but everyone was just really suspicious of each other at that point because of impeachment. So it was just kind of a perfect storm of things that, that prevented all of this from being addressed early. Finally, on January 31st, you know, given Tom Cotton's frequent calls to the White House about China, the president did implement those travel restrictions, which he's always boasting about now, saying that he acted very early. Um, you know, the jury's still out on how effective those restrictions actually were in preventing um, the situation from becoming worse in, in the United States. Um, but the bottom line is that, you know, even after the impeachment trial ended, the White House was still saying, look, we can handle it. This is not going to be a big deal. A couple of Americans might get sick. We can handle it with the money we have. 
Yeah, so it's just like the perfect storm if you're a Democrat in Congress and here comes Tom Cotton, who has always been a China hawk, saying they've bioengineered a, a germ in Wuhan and we're all going to, you know. Uh, so it's it's got to be... It, it just didn't seem like it, it couldn't have seemed like a very credible source. And I know that Tom Cotton's come out since then and said this was engineered in the lab and that, that was a conspiracy theory. And um, and everyone was like sort of really pushed back on that. So it had to be it had to be sort of difficult for him to be the the, you know, the arbiter of this news. Uh, you're like, OK, Tom Cotton and sort of pat him on the head and be like, we know, we know. Um, but the Democrats took notice early as well what was what was going on with schumer and and kentwell and murray and all them i mean what didn't take long yeah so they they started sending letters around probably the 26th of january asking for more action from the administration on this issue um asking for more briefings asking for you know the white house and the administration to request emergency supplemental funding and this was obviously you know something that at the same time they were doing this, the White House was pretty much all consumed themselves with impeachment. Um, the entire, as one GOP, GOP aide put it to us, the entire executive branch really was was totally consumed by this. Um, you know, that that may be true, but I think, you know, when we expect the president to be able to do more than one thing at once, <laughs> um, especially when it comes to, you know, potential global pandemic. So the fact that, you know, they're using this as an excuse and saying that, that they couldn't get the White House spurred into action because of impeachment is kind of more a damning condemnation of the White House's competence than it is of the Democrats pursuing this process. Um, there, this shouldn't have been as big of a distraction from such a big global public health issue as it was. Well, yeah. And I mean, if you don't want, you know, if you don't want to be distracted by impeachment, don't do impeachable shit. Um, <laughs> just, you know, just saying. Uh, and and it's got to be like just like Dems being skeptical of Tom Cotton uh, with the you know with his outcry about Wuhan, the GOP is probably skeptical about Dems saying ah oh, they just want money, and and they're trying you know et cetera. So it had to be it had to be interesting uh, back and forth just because of the you know the 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 partisan divide on the Hill. So even after the impeachment, well, first of all, do you think the impeachment? actually impacted the response to coronavirus? I don't know if we can even draw that conclusion, can we? You know, I think it's too hard. Um, the Democrats I spoke to said, look, if we weren't doing impeachment, the alternative was not going to be like a bill on coronavirus. This did not come onto our radar until truly, you know, besides Tom Cotton, until truly the end of January at the uh, earliest. And the impeachment trial was over by February 5th. So it, that's, you know, that that's not credible and to a lot of them. And while it may have driven further suspicions by each party of the other, those those that reluctance to, for example, spend more money on health issues and spend more money on emergency supplementals by Republicans was always going to be there. The suspicion by Democrats that Republicans were just trying to protect the president and distract um, from a major impeachment trial that was always that was going to be there. So I think it's really impossible to say. And ultimately, you know what what experts tell us is that regardless of how much earlier Congress could have been raising the alarms on this issue, it really does fall primarily to the federal government to have dealt with this earlier. Yeah. And I mean, even if even if it was hypothetically impeachment that was distracting, 
how do you explain? I mean, because didn't, Republicans continued to downplay the the pandemic even after February fifth. I mean, they did it. He pretty much did it all for the month of February. Right. I mean, just recall Matt Gates um, wearing the gas mask <laughs> on the House floor, and that was on March 9th. Um, he was appearing to make light of the issue, and even at the end of the Phase One bill, when House Democrats were were pushing that forward. Republicans, I'm told, were still asking, well, why are we focusing more on coronavirus than the the normal flu? You know, what's the difference? Why is there so much mass media hysteria about this? I mean, this was late in the process. This was end of February, early March. So this is not something, obviously, that the rank and file GOP were, were really getting behind. And only after it became, you know, we have to have these quarantines in place. We have to have stay at home orders. And once, you know, Republican members of Congress actually started getting sick, um, that's kind of when the, the tide of attitude turned. I can't believe Matt Gates did that on March 9th. March is like the month that will never end. Um, it's still March. Somebody tweeted, somebody tweeted out, hey, remember when Buttigieg dropped out a couple months ago? Just kidding. That was March. It's never going to end. <laughs> Crazy. Um, now, it just a couple other things that you bring up in the article, and I really encourage people to go to Politico.com, read this article. You can also go to um, Natasha Bertrand's uh, Twitter account. It's posted on there. Um, it's everywhere. It's a really, really great article. But can you just briefly tell us about there was there's an early fight over masks and... Um, you know, you're talking about even if Congress, if the impeachment wasn't there, we weren't going to get, you know, the, the, the bill out of this uh, from the Republicans that the and you talk about the limited tools that Congress had to even respond to coronavirus. So can you just talk about those two things real quick? Yeah, yeah. So this was a really interesting issue that we weren't aware of before we started reporting this out. But essentially, as lawmakers got to work in February on these emergency supplemental bills, you know, manufacturers who make these face masks said that they would able to they would be able to provide tens of millions more of these N95 face masks, which are also called respirators, to hospitals and first responders. But they needed to be shielded from lawsuits because these masks were alternative masks. They were made for industrial use and they hadn't gone through the FDA approval process that hospital masks are usually required to go through before they're used in healthcare settings. So they, the, the trial lawyers were lobbying against these immunity provisions. They were saying that healthcare workers and patients should be able to sue companies if something goes wrong. And they didn't want these mask manufacturers to be able to have no legal liability, even in the middle of this pandemic. I mean, at the end of all this, they still wanted to reserve their right to sue, essentially. Um, So the Final, so the, the language giving the mask manufacturers this, this shield, essentially, from this liability was included in the phase one bill. It was stripped, um, actually, by Democrats at the last minute. Nancy Pelosi, an aide to her, said, look, why should these big manufacturers have this immunity? Um, and in the phase two bill negotiated between Mnuchin and Pelosi, the mask manufacturers were given limited liability, saying, okay, just for the purposes of this emergency we can say that you won't be sued. Mm -hmm. And then Mitch McConnell actually made it permanent in the phase three bill. Mm. Um, So there was this whole big drawn out thing. It went on for about two and a half weeks, kind of arguing back and forth over like, you know, who can get sued? What are the mass manufacturers going to be completely immune to this? And all the while, of course, mass shortages were going through the roof and, hospitals are panicking and begging for more personal protective equipment. So this was a really big side issue that delayed and bogged down. And it's just an example of how 
powerful, really, the lobbyists were, even in a situation like this, which is a complete emergency. Hmm. Um, And then with regard to uh, the uh, provisions that Congress had actually had actually done to prepare for this kind of pandemic. I think that's what you're asking about, like health funds. Yeah. And and they just had really limited tools to act, even if they could. Yeah. So they so the Democrats were actually considering going at this alone because by the early by early February, they were asking the administration, look, you know, please ask us for an emergency supplemental package like we will write legislation as long as you can get behind it we will do this we will give more money essentially to um fight this pandemic and the white house was and the administration and alex azar were basically saying no we can handle it with existing appropriations so the democrats were saying well we can't write you know we can't go at this alone if we're not going to have the support of the administration and therefore we're not going to have the support of the senate this won't go this won't ultimately go anywhere so their hands were basically tied and they were trying to convince republicans to push the white house to do more and what democrats were telling us is that they couldn't they they couldn't get their republicans to take this seriously enough to actually put the necessary pressure on the white house to get the ball rolling on this funding um so their hands were tied in that respect and, you know, there, there's also just a lack of foresight here in general, because Congress did create a public health emergency fund back in the 80s that would have created this, you know, this pile of money that the Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar could have just used in, in the case of an emergency like this. Basically, the money would just be able to be moved around um, the way that he saw fit. And it just hasn't been replenished in over two decades. Um, so there just was not really any kind of imagination put into the idea that we could be having an imminent global health crisis. And that's ultimately what experts point to as one of the lessons learned from this is that we need to realize that we're not, we're not going to be immune from this. Um, This is going to happen again, and we need to plan for it much better. Well, thank you for all that. It's never just as easy as, you know, who's at fault, Democrats or Republicans. There's just a million variables. And I think that that's why it's so important that you have a strong leadership in, in, in the White House, which I don't think that we have right now. That's just my personal opinion, because the buck has to stop somewhere because of all these variables. So uh, everybody check out the piece. It's called From Distraction to Disaster, How Coronavirus Crept Up on Washington and uh, National Security Correspondent at Politico, MSNBC contributor Natasha Bertrand. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Daily Harvest. In these days of quarantining, it's been very hard to eat healthy uh, and uh, not getting enough fruits and vegetables. Uh, I, even when I do eat healthy, I, I'm doing this uh, intermittent fasting, and so I have huge gaps in my diet, and I need to get fruits and vegetables. And I, re- I you know, I have to also, it has to be easy. Uh, because I'm single. So I buy a bunch of, you know, fruits and vegetables, half of it goes bad, and then I feel bad because I'm wasting food. So there's multiple trips to the store, which we can't do anymore. But now we don't have to deal with that because there is Daily Harvest. They deliver the food you want to eat, but don't have time to make, and they deliver it right to your door. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat more fruits and veggies with uh, thoughtfully sourced chef-crafted foods that can be prepared in five minutes or less, which is my favorite thing. They work directly with farms. They harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and then freeze them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. Everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it. You can choose from more than 65 different options. They have smoothies. They have really hearty, delicious soups. They have harvest bowls, overnight oats, just every, just everything you can think of. And each recipe only takes one step to prepare, uh, but you have room to make it your own if you want. 
want. You want to add a fried egg. You want to add some uh, crumbly bacon on top. You want to add an avocado. Put your favorite milk in a smoothie. Um, or, you know, heat up the harvest bowl. And, you know, like I said, you can add you can add your own flair. I love it that way. I like the wheatgrass banana cucumber smoothie a lot. That's my new favorite. Uh, I'm, I get all my nutrients that I need from that for the day. And I'm also loving the cauliflower rice and pesto harvest bowl. It's delicious. So whether you're at, at your desk or uh, on a hike, staying six feet apart, uh, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have delicious and nutritious meals or snacks. So go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code DAILYBEANS to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code DAILYBEANS for $25 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com. Again, that's dailyharvest.com. Hello, welcome back. It's time to float on. And joining me for the good news is Amanda Reeder. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing okay, G. Doing okay. I am a little sad today, but I am doing okay. As I think a lot of people are juggling a lot of complicated emotions right now. Yeah, we're prepping for those new numbers. And uh, well, they're not new to us, but you know, I guess to hear the White House admit it is a little bit... Uh... Uh, it just puts more weight on it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when the site, when it gets to a level where the White House absolutely can't deny the reality, then you know it's real because we we're usually pretty skeptical of what they're saying anyway. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't spin the uh, the results of what's about to happen. You can't spin it out of existence. So there's no way to there's really no way. He tried early on, but we definitely need your good news today before. Before we get to yours, though, uh, I wanted to say that this Friday we are hosting a Pajama Jammy Jam Cocktail Quarantine Q&A Live Bonanza. Hell yeah. And that'll be Friday. This will be our second uh, second one of these. It'll be Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Pacific Time. It's for patrons. Jammies are required. You can wear your dress jams or your conference call business casual jams. I'll be wearing my favorite onesies uh, on camera. And or just your regular jam jams, any kind of jams. <laughs> yep, any kind of jams. And I will uh, we'll be answering fun questions. Join us for that. It was so fun last week. We want to do it again. Uh, sign up at patreon.com slash the daily beans. If you're not a patron, uh, you'll also, by becoming a, a premium subscriber, you get these episodes ad-free and early. Um, you get the weekly live hangouts, bonus content like the book club, uh, quarantine with Silverstein, VIP tickets and meet and greets when we go back out on the road, which I want to. Uh, and all your money goes towards keeping us afloat, paying our folks in full, retaining our full staff, offering health benefits, 401ks. It really means the world to us. Uh, plus, you become part of like the best community of awesome people on the planet. Um, I can't express how amazing, what an amazing group of people uh, our listeners are. So you definitely want to be a part of that. So thank you for all of that. I just wanted to get that out of the way. And also... I'm going to be wearing my animal onesie on Friday. I'm excited. Oh, I does it have a hood with ears? It has a hood. It also has mittens. It has paws. Very excited. That's going to be my my jammy attire. And um, it was so fun last week. We had, I think, 300 people tune in over the course of the live broadcast. And since last week, I think almost a people have watched it. How many? Uh, a thousand. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So so it's really cool. So if, if you are in a time zone which makes it harder for you to watch live, but you still are interested in having your questions answered on air, um, you can still send them to us, still become a patron because you can watch the, the rec- a recording, a video recording of the broadcast afterwards. So um, you don't have to worry about not being able to take part just because you can't watch it live. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So please send in your questions to us. So uh, we're going to choose our favorite ones and, and answer some of them uh, on the broadcast. Yeah. And, and they're, they're pretty fun questions too. Uh, before, uh, before I hand it over, uh, Amanda, there's some really good news that came out last night after we recorded. Um, and you know, as you know, we have a sister podcast called Mueller. She wrote, it's all about the Mueller investigation. We were covering it all the way through, uh, still a lot of Mueller news coming out and probably the bombshell happened this week. We found out that, uh, March 30th was the deadline for the Department of Justice to hand over to the court the full, unredacted Mueller report in its entirety without any redactions. Uh, and they did. They handed it over to the courts. Whoa! So, yeah. So Judge Walton has it. Uh, he was the one who was being real skeptical about Bill Barr and his presentation and, and, and characterization of the Mueller findings when he took over the Department of Justice. And he, you know, he was questioning the appropriateness of, of a lot of the redactions uh, in some of the, in the cases that he was seeing. And uh, they did. They handed it over. He has it. Now, the, the, don't get too excited because, first of all, he's going to review it in camera, meaning like in private. But it's also he's postponing his review of it until uh, 420, April 20th. 420, dude. Uh, and so he's going to smoke a joint and fucking read that. No. Uh, so he... he, he um, He's going to he's postponing that review. Uh, personally, I'd be like I'm taking this home and reading it uh between now and then, but um he now knows uh what's behind those uh, specifically I'm thinking of appendix D, which is the you know, there were 14 cases that Mueller handed off to other to other to other entities and US attorney's offices and and whatnot. And uh, 12 of them were redacted. Only two of them were public at the time, and he knows what's under there. And so that's going to be really interesting. And it's also going to be really interesting to see if we find out uh, anything that we didn't know before. But um, the Mueller, the Mueller report is live and well, and somebody now has a full unredacted version outside of the Department of Justice. More information is good information. Always, especially with the Mueller report. So with that, without that's like my big good news of the universe, right? That's like my fucking good news. But there is so much other good news going on right now from our listeners, from our patrons, uh, from our subscribers, from everybody uh, in the world. What do you got for us? Got a couple of things. Um, So I'm going to start off with one from Deborah McPherson. And uh, she has said there have been no mass shootings (laughs) because of no mass gatherings. That's good news. <laughs> um, she also said uh, respect for scientists and experts um, has gone up again since the downgrading of science began with Reagan. Mm. So that is also good news. Um, this is from Melissa. She said, I live in London and I was out for my once daily government mandated exercise. I passed an old man on the street and we said hello to each other. That never happens here. So it was extra special. And as a former Londoner, I can, ag- I can agree with that. People do not say hello to each other on the street. So 
it sounds like there's a sense of solidarity. And you any good news is still good news. You were recognizing that too. I think you were last time we spoke, you were saying when I went out on a walk, everyone was smiling and waving and like, uh, you know, greeting each other like uh, the likes of which we've never seen. So I think that that's, (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's wonderful. And I've heard people have told me people have said, Uh, so I'm hoping that that continues. Um, I'm hoping that's something that sticks. Me too. Um, this is from Josh. He said, I'm not sure if it counts as good news, but it's been very relaxing. Relaxing? That's not a word, mm-hmm. but uh, relaxing. That's the word. Um, listening to Patrick Stewart reading poetry. So I guess Patrick Stewart has been posting poetry in quarantine, and that does sound like bliss. Yep. And LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton is reading Neil Gaiman. And uh, I know Dolly Parton is going to start reading children's books here in April. Uh, and so it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. Fund the arts. I would die for Dolly Parton. She is <laughs> wonderful. I love her so much. Um, if there is a celebrity, uh, reading poetry or reading children's books or anything, um, tweet it at us. Cause I would like to know. Um, this one is from, this is my favorite today. <laughs> this is from a Twitter user called Riveting Rosie. And she said, I heard some fabric in my bra stretching in a bad way after I'd already left for work, but my bra held it together for the shift. A true team player providing extra support in times of need. <laughs> your bra your bra deserves hazard pay and overtime. <laughs> you ever leave the house, especially in the days of wire bras? Lately, it's been all sports bras all the time. But you know when you're wearing a wire bra and you feel it start to dig and you know it's going to pop out at any time and, and, and like going out as a hazard? Yeah, I just pull the wire out when that happens, and then one boob is sad. <laughs> I have had this. I've been, like, at a bar, and all of a sudden I've been like, oh, what is that? And it's my bra attacking me. It's the wire popping out, and so I just slide it right out, and then you're right. One boob is sad. But congratulations to Rosie for her bra holding up for the shift. That's good news. <laughs> good job. Good <laughs> it made job. me laugh. And she also said, um, also, you convinced me to download Animal Crossing. And um, for those of you not playing Animal Crossing and you need something relaxing and you have a Nintendo Switch, highly recommended. Also, you can hang out with your friends. You can visit their islands and they can come to your island on Animal Crossing and you can pretend that you have a social life. Nice. Didn't I think, didn't Joelle just get a house? Didn't she just move out of her tent? Yeah, exactly. That's fucking great. I'm going to have to get on there and come visit. Yep. Once you upgrade from a tent to a house, because basically the idea is that you're on this little deserted island and you're populating it and you have to go on these little missions to help uh, build up the island and also build up your own house with, you know, you have to build different tools with different materials you find around the island. Um, But once you built it up a little, you can have friends visit your island through online play. And there's literally a little airport on each island and you can fly to your friend's islands and they can fly to yours and you can run around exploring each other's islands and hanging out in the game. Oh, yeah. And it's really meditative. I spent a lot of time like fishing or pulling weeds in the game. There's a lot of really like meditative qualities to the music and the art in the game. So it's a nice escape. That's really good. I need that. I need that especially at night because I'm pretty good during the day when I'm busy, you know, walking the dog or, or taking care of the house or writing or putting the show together or doing interviews or maybe being on calls. But like at night after Maddo's over, I get like sad and lonely. And so that's that's definitely a good time for that. It's really helpful and um, the music is really chill so you can just run around like fishing and there's just like relaxing acoustic guitar music and it's a very, there's very meditative qualities to the game when you're playing it solo and there's very social qualities to the game when you're playing with friends. So um, highly recommended. 
uh, Nintendo is not paying us. It's just saving my sanity right now. <laughs> um, this one is from a patron named Ellen McNamara. And I'm going to tweet out this link um, on, on our Twitter account, which is at Daily Beans Pod. So you can go check it out there. And um, maybe I'll also share it in our Behind the Beans Facebook group. Um, she said, I created a survey that will compile a list of people around the country who have working CPAP machines that they are no longer using to donate to hospitals in the case of ventilator shortages. And she said, please share and sign up if you have a working CPAP that's not in use. So I'm going to share that link on our Twitter. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, this is from Joe. And Joe says, FYI, everyone, online voter registration is now available in, South- in North Carolina. Oh, good. Yeah, hell yeah. So North Carolinians, uh, make sure you are registered to vote. You can do that online. Um This is from Allie, and she said, we had to go to the store today, and thankfully, it looks like the WIC message has spread around here, and that's the idea that on the first and second of the month, try not to buy any products uh, that that are WIC labeled uh, for those folks who rely on uh, assistance, Uh, because most of the WIC items in my store were fully or close to fully stocked while the other items were more picked over. So that's great solidarity with those folks who are relying on assistance. Yeah, good job. And WIC, by the way, is is the, the like it's like a SNAP program, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Um, this is from Gretchen Osterman, and she said, "By the way, YouTube has all of the '80s GI Joe cartoons for free." <laughs> mm. Yeah, I saw that. So I love that. Um, this is from uh, this is the Twitter account is actually a clothing store in LA. So I guess whoever's behind the clothing store, it's called Stash on York. Uh, she said, good news. I have donated 100 masks in the last five days to doctors, nurses, caregivers, and food servers around the county. Today's list includes my local post office and um, some infectious disease RNs and children's hospital RNs. I am happily sewing away. And she linked to a bunch of uh, uh, those fabric masks that she's been making. And there's one last thing here, and this is from Allie. And she linked us to a Politico article uh, that talks about the Bay Area seeing a flatter curve after two weeks of social isolation. Um, I'm just going to read the uh, opening paragraph to that really quickly because I thought it was uh, worth sharing. So state leaders and doctors are cautiously optimistic that the Bay Area's early moves to lockdown residents two weeks ago have prevented surges of coronavirus patients from overwhelming the region's healthcare capacity thus far. Uh, six Bay Area counties were the first in the country to adopt aggressive tactics um, enforceable March 16th, re- uh, requiring residents to stay home. Um, so after 14 days, uh, the outermost period at which symptoms are believed to emerge post-infection, doctors uh, at area hospitals are now reporting fewer cases than they expected to see at this point, and officials are crediting, are crediting the lockdown with stemming the tide of patients that they feared would flood into the emergency rooms. So that is a glimmer of optimism. Yes, and good job to San Francisco for being first to shelter in place, and good job to California and uh, all the other governors. And I think there are now 29 states that are doing um, quarantines and lockdowns and self-isolation orders. Uh, your early action, your early action has will save lives. It will save lives, and and so good job to everybody who's who's staying the fuck at home. So I love that. Um, this is from, uh, this is, the Twitter account is actually a clothing store in LA. So I guess whoever's behind the clothing store, it's called Stash on York. Uh, she said, good news. I have donated 100 masks in the last five days to doctors, nurses, caregivers, and food servers around the county. Today's list includes my local post office and um, some infectious disease RNs and children's hospital RNs. I am happily. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 
Um, also, here's w- one more <laughs> that I that I forgot to read. Uh, this is from someone on Patreon, uh, someone anonymous, who said, uh, my grandmother, who is a staunch Texas first Christian conservative, told me that Trump was shameful and made her feel shame as an American. Um, so <laughs> that is good news, I guess. I guess if, if if we're there, and I've seen a bunch of tweets like this from people over the last few weeks too, and, and messages from patrons who are like, my formerly MAGA relative is no longer for Trump. Uh, his handling of this pandemic could be his downfall. And so I see that as good news tactics. Mm. Um, yes. Enforceable march. One one can hope hiring residents <laughs> to stay home. And that's, uh, um, that's what we must so do. After- yes. All right. Well, uh, thank you, patrons and listeners and everyone. Because um, I know those doctors come from, from uh, all area hospitals folks, are now reporting. So thank you for fewer cases than they expected to see at this point. But, uh, thank you and for sharing those. And if you do have questions for us, like we said earlier, send them to us uh, and we will try to answer them on our Friday live stream because it was so much fun last week. And uh, I think we could all use some cheering up. Shit's getting really real around here. And uh, if you need to feel like you're hanging out with your three uh, annoyingly political good friends, Mm -hmm. we got you. Yeah. Somebody said they cast us on their television and it was like we were all just hanging out. Yeah. We will have a drink with you. Yep. I got my white claw ready to go. Hell yeah. Mango. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for the good news. I know we need it. We uh, especially need it today and the, and the weeks ahead. The, the coming weeks are going to be really, really hard. So please, you know, tune in. Um, we'll give you the good news. Um, we'll look for the helpers and, and share that information with you. We'll consolidate it for you. And we'll try to keep you laughing as best we can. Um, but everyone, in the meantime, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. But Amanda Reed there. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>